Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. And today we have a very special guest for you. We're talking to Bryce Holdaway, who is one half of the hosts of the Property Couch Property Investing Podcast. He's, of course, been featured on television on the Location, Location, Location show. He's a published author and industry commentator when it comes to everything property investing. We have a chat to Bryce about why property investors have become scapegoats in the political debate around rental affordability. And of course, it'd be remiss of me not to use the opportunity in chatting to Bryce to get his advice and insights into how to be a successful property investor today. It's an awesome interview with Bryce, which I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of it. Here's Bryce. Bryce Holdaway, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. We were talking off air about you spending years trying to get uh, Chris Voss on the show, never split the dis- the difference. I think I probably pr- tried for a couple of years to get yourself, so it's good to, good to finally get you on. Oh, th- thanks for that, mate. I, I appreciate the persistence and um, uh, <laughs> I, I can't give you any uh, logical reason why not other than I think just um, getting schedules lined up. But, uh, mate, it's great, it's great to have a chat with you. You're a busy man. Obviously, people would have seen you uh, on the telly. Um, we won't talk about the new version of, of that show. That's uh, that's another episode. But of course, as a host of The Property Couch, um, you're in a lot of people's earballs uh, on a weekly basis talking about property. And the focus of today's episode, we want to talk about kind of the political state of the investor in the dialogue. So the media, I, I think, has been sharing all of these notions about the affordability crisis, the rental affordability crisis, and talking about supply, 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 but very little discussion about the role that landlords have in the rental affordability space. Why do you think landlords haven't really been recognised for what they're doing there? I think because most of the narrative that comes out is that uh, they're getting getting wealthy um, by being leeches off the tax system. And I think that is a, a bit of an unfair narrative, but it's it is the dominant one because, um, as you know, there was a, a failed attempt um, by the Labor government, prior Labor government campaign to uh, scrap negative gearing on established and um, only for brand new. And Two attempts, I guess. Two, two attempts. Yeah. And then it, even if you go back, like it's been a decade in the making, mate. It's like back in 2014, mm. they changed um, a amount of lending that um, um, banks could do for investors and then there's been changes to uh, reforms for property management and what landlords are going to provide. So there's been this decade-long run-up to actually provide instability and disincentives for property investors. And um, little little bit of um, uh, narrative around the fact that unlike a lot of places around the world, in Australia it's quite unique where a very large percentage of the rental stock is provided by private landlords, yeah. i.e. mum and dad investors. And I think it's easy to just read the headlines, but once you look under the bonnet, you realise that um, uh, most people who are trying to create some form of financial freedom, wealth, lifestyle by design, whatever you want to call it, using property, they're doing it in in a way to self-fund a retirement, which is actually good for the Australian taxation system so that they won't be relying on the pension. But... um, if, if they are portrayed as greedy fat cats leeching off the tax system, that won't help. I'd rather the narrative be small business owner mm. because if you think about your small business owner who is 
cafe down the road or whatever whatever the small business is, they're usually taking a risk, probably leveraging against their own home, probably um, delayed gratification for some reward in the future. Um, property, property investors are generally the same as that. I think that's a really good parallel to draw. Now, I don't know the exact stats of the percentage of businesses that are small uh, businesses. I think it's probably around about 60%, but the percentage of people that provide rental accommodation as mum and dad investors or whatever the modern term we need to update it to is, um, it's about 91%, right? But yet small businesses are kind of like the darling of politicians. You know, we've got to look after small business owners because they're important for the economy. But for property investors, yeah, you, as, as you say, they're kind of leeches on the tax system. One thing that I sort of shake my head at is they talk about the the negative gearing loophole. Now, as far as I'm aware, negative gearing came in at about 1936. How, how many loopholes do you know that are nearly 90 years old? Yeah, n- n- not a lot, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, interesting, isn't it? How they how they play it. That um, uh, for for the majority of like, if you think about it, you talked about 91. percent So there's about 2.2 million property investors in this country, and 73 percent of them stop at one. Yeah. So. Let's call that three out of four. Three out of four people who take the risk, take the swing, try and do something for their future, go against the tide, not be able to talk to many people about it. They take all this risk. Three out of four stop at one. Now, you know, um, if someone buys one investment property, Mike, and they hold it for long enough and they combine it with their super, um, they'll have some choices that are pretty significant if they bought the right property. But Generally speaking, you're not going to retire off one property. You need, in mm-hmm. our view, two or three, plus your family home, plus combined with your super to be able to keep the keep the capital in place so that you can just retire off the rents as a passive income. But yeah. most people stop at one. So, so the fact that um, there are some outliers, there are some people that have 100 properties, there are some people that have 10, 20 properties, um, in my experience, the more sophisticated the investor um, aspires to be, the more likely they are to jump into commercial or industrial uh, mm. real estate as opposed to residential real estate. So if it's 73% stop at one and to your point, 91% stop at one or two, um, the reality is that the property investor isn't a greedy fat cat that's leeching off the tax system. It's generally probably someone that you meet at the schoolyard gate or someone that you bump into at the water cooler at work, or someone that you meet having a drink on a Friday, they're probably just like you and me mm. who are deciding, hey, I'm going to have a go. And most of the time, they won't talk about it because in this country, there's a bit of tall poppy going on. So unless True. we know there's an in that someone's interested in the space, we don't talk about it. Um, the, the, the narrative is misleading. But if you do draw the parallel to the small business owner, and when a small business owner has extra costs incurred on them, they generally inflate their prices. That is the same with property investors. They've passed on a very disproportionate amount of the expenses that they've received in increased mortgage costs and increased compliance costs to the tenant. But clearly, we've got a political conversation around rents need to be um, looked at and property investors need to be taken out of the market because then more people will be able to get property. And I just think it's a misplaced narrative. 
Mm. A very good point about disproportionately passing on those costs as well. Um, unfortunately, I threw it on the floor of the studio, but I've got a graph showing the disparity between the costs borne by landlords and those by by tenants. And of course, we know that tenants have suffered. The pace of change in rents is is too quick, right? Like it's too quick to to monitor to, to really comfortably be a tenant in that ecosystem but you model it out over 20 years as peter kalizos has done it's it's underpaced inflation right but the landlords have seen that increase at the same pace as well it's just there's there's more noise on the tenants and i'm wondering if we try and go for another parallel you know they talk about being a u.s president you've got to have you know the what is it, the rifle association behind you? You've got to have the Christian vote. You know, we're, we're talking over $2 million investors as 10% of the, the population. Isn't, isn't there enough there that you think politicians will, will look towards to, to maybe kind of, you know, I guess do a little bit of a signal to, to say you're just aspirational people that are trying to invest in your future? Yeah, you'd like to think that, wouldn't you? But it's um, uh, property investors are easy targets, you know, um, Politicians have seen uh, uh, property investors as ATMs for the state for some time, and it's it's largely one of those places where the majority of the people aren't investing in property. So if they take after that um, small group, um, it has very little political backlash for them. Um, mm. So, you know, Ben, who I co-host the Property Couch with, he, he, he heads up, well, he's the chair of the Property Investors Council of Australia, and he's... he's um, He's recently got himself a seat at the table to have a conversation around um, the rental scenario and the talk of rental freeze and what that looks like. But I've, I've got to promise you, mate, he had to spend a, an extraordinary amount of time campaigning just to be allowed to be in the room, um, to be the voice of the people or, or voice to represent the people who some of these changes will impact the most. So, um, yeah, I think, it's, um, I think it's pretty politically easy to have a swing at property investors, mate. Yeah, he had to campaign to be one of very few people that are the voice of 2.2 million property investors. It seems crazy. And I was actually going to ask you about, Ben, because I, I went to the Property Investors Council uh, of Australia website recently and looked at his video about some of the policies that the, the Greens have been tabling about rental freezes. Now, we did have the the National Cabinet meeting recently where Albo has basically said, look, we're not going to be looking at rental freezes. Do you think the political debate is turning a corner? Are we, are we getting there, do you think? Are you a glass half full or the, the glass is empty, we've smashed it and they're not making any more glasses? Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to think it was uh, the glass half full. It, ju- it, just, it just feels like when, when you dodge one bullet, you've got to be looking out for the next one. And I think... Um, uh, uh, the sooner we can, well, as we're having this conversation, the, the quicker we can change the narrative around um, how property investors are perceived in the marketplace, the more we can get seats at the table to have these conversations, I think, the better. But at no point do we get comfortable that the job is done because it just seems like everyone's trying to have a piece of um, piece of the poor old property investor. And whilst the, whilst the perception remains greedy fat cats, um, uh, it will continue to be an easy target. All right, I want to try and change direction on you just so that this isn't some property investor biased kind of love in. Um, the difference between 
say investing in Coca-Cola shares and investing in a in a home is that you can't someone can't live in Coca-Cola shares. So kind of what happens to the maintenance of that business, whether they go up or down, doesn't seem to be as emotive as a human being occupying a premises. Um, do you think that there is some notion that people shouldn't be investing in housing because there's there's somebody that's in there that kind of suffers from the maintenance and ownership of what is just supposedly an appreciating asset? Um, so, sorry, is, is the question, should we not be encouraging property investors? Is that... I, I think so. Do, do, do we, you know, do we make a, a statement to say, look, houses aren't an investment asset. They're just some sort of universal right that the government is able to fund somehow. Yeah, well, that, that last bit's important because um, the government <laughs> hasn't done a very good job at any time over history um, to be um, providers of residential accommodation for people. So, um Let's answer the question by by saying, well, what if we actually did take private landlords out of out of the um, out of the market? It would be a diabolical nightmare for tenants and for providers of housing in this country. Because um, I I I worked for the Queensland government um, during the GFC when Kevin Rudd was spending money um, trying to get us out of. Um, you know, the economic uncertainty at the time. And governments were, were, we had large pools of cash that we were giving to developers to try and build more housing. And I can tell you it was grossly inefficient. I can tell you that there was a lot of money wasted. And I can tell you that it was people were just looking for arbitrage opportunities to make a quid at the expense of the ultimate outcome, which was public housing. So governments do not do it well. So mm. if you were... Let, let, if if the if the rental freeze was to happen, um, uh, investors would leave the, the the market in droves, and so what would happen is the poor old tenant who the legislation is intended to protect would be worse off by a country mile. So they the 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 histo- if you have a look in overseas markets when you when you mess with the market forces of um, Government interference in the market forces of the property market have diabolical outcomes. So I actually think if we've talked at the top of the show about there's been a decade-long campaign of disincentives or uncertainty being provided to to property investors, I think for us to uh, fix the affordability issue, to fix the rental crisis, we need to create uh, incentives. And I understand that people say, sure, if you want to you know, don't go to the barber and ask if you need a haircut because they're just going to say, yes, I'm a property investor, right? But if if we provide more incentives for property investors to enter the market, therefore there will be more opportunities for supply and therefore we can then create opportunities where we can release more supply, which will house more people. Um, I see it as being a benefit for the the tenant uh, rather than... Um, the, the alleged benefit to the tenant if the property investors were to leave the market. If they sell, another owner-occupier might buy. That means the pool shrinks even further before we even talk about um, uh, systemically um, the challenges that await if you do that. Mm. And talking about Queensland, with the legislated land tax changes, I sent some data to Ben. I think he plugged it on your show a little while ago where we saw a huge drop in investor activity in Queensland for that 98-day period that the legislation change was actually ratified, right? So 
I think that's an insight into what happens if you put restrictive measures uh, on on investors. The the pool actually shrinks, and the policy that they're they're putting to try and help rental affordability, they're actually kind of exacerbating it. I want to ask you about the alternative to property investors. Here, here I am still trying to be, you know, speaker one for the negative. I'm, I'm probably doing a bad job because I don't really believe in it. But it seems like the government wants to encourage these build to rent and these kind of institutional landlords like super funds that are building community housing and they're offering tax breaks and those sorts of things. Why do you think they're wanting big business to be supplying rental accommodation rather than mum and dad investors or people like you and me? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Well, it's a great question. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess because of the multiplier effect of um, creating jobs, right? So yep. clearly um, big businesses, uh, developers, the multiplier effect of a brand new property, you know this better than most, Mike, but the multiplier effect of a brand new property is so much more significant than transacting an established property, right? So um the multiplier effect of all these built to rent at large scale. There's the builders and the crane operators and the the sparkies and the and the uh, retailers who have to stock. So it's it's great, right? But that's probably um, part of the the conversation for us. Is okay. Well, if 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 the the poor old um, private landlord is being painted as a greedy fat cat, and they generally statistically only buy one, mm. maybe two. Versus these big, large corporates or super funds that are getting significant tax deductions and incentives to try and get them to enter the market, there is a there is a, an imbalance um, around that narrative also, which doesn't yeah. really make it to the public um, uh, space. But if we're trying to support, so I don't think it's an or. I just think it's an and. Like yeah. let's incentivise private uh, landlords and let's continue to incentivise the big end of town to provide accommodation because if we do have a rental crisis, like if you think about where the rental crisis has come from, it's 20, 30 people lining up trying to have a swing for one property and just fighting over each other to try and get it. If there's more supply, um, that is a good thing for the for the poor old tenant. I I don't believe in slumlords. I don't believe in marginalising people. I don't believe in seeing people uh, under an enormous anxiety just to find a roof over their head. So if they could both contribute to being part of the solution, I'm all for it. What do you think is sort of the mindset of investors at the moment when they're going through all of these sort of state-by-state state conversations and hurdles to jump? You know, the Victoria, you had the, the minimum standards. You've got some land tax changes. We had the land tax changes in Queensland. We talked about, we talked about national rental freezes. I mean, you, you deal with property investors all the day and all the time and, and I presume they're making these decisions based on 5, 10, 30-year time horizons but there's all this tinkering around the margin. Do you think that's contributed to the increase in landlords selling, which has been a huge uh, huge thing in the last little while? 
Yeah, I do. I do. I think it does. I th- you know, for, for, for what we're trying to do is we're trying to get investors to lift their eyes and play the decades game. But for a lot of people who are, uh, you know, we're experiencing the tightest, you know, the steepest interest rate tightening cycle that we've experienced. Um, and then on the backdrop of a decade of disincentives or uncertainty in the property market. So it kind of makes sense when someone goes, all right, well, I looked at, I looked at Victoria and I'm going to get slugged with a bit of extra land tax and I've got a bunch of compliance costs. Or if I went up to Queensland, I had to dance with the pay land tax across the entire country devil. Or I go to New South Wales and think it's pretty bloody expensive to buy in there anyway to try and be a part of that centre. And then we go over to the West and have a look in South Australia or uh, Western Australia. So it becomes it becomes a challenging space for people when there's so much market volatility as an investor. You don't want sort of regulatory volatility. You want certainty in the space so that you can let the market forces do their thing. So I do, I do understand why um, people want to not invest. They want to divest or not invest at all. Um, but I think if you can um, remind yourself of the fact that Australia has a superpower and that is we're a sovereign country with political financial stability. Our climate and our lifestyle is first class. We have our own food bowl here um, and we're largely sheltered from some of the uh, the goings-on in other parts of the country. I mean, when you watch our news cycle, it's pretty insular. We only hear maybe about Australia and New Zealand, whereas if you go and watch the news cycle in London, you you hear all about Europe and all through yeah. Asia and it's just a normal part of their world that they see all these other things, right? So we've got this wonderful um, tyranny of distance that works in our favour. So if so many people want to move here and we unusually base ourselves around the urban fringe of of the coastal lines of the country, it, 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 could, it could arguably be one of the best decades to own residential real estate because if in 2030 you look back and you see all these people that were coming here and we probably don't have the infrastructure that's um, expanding at a fast enough pace and if you're able to put your name on a title during that decade um, and you've got all these people coming from the other side of the world sort of desperate to do a little selfie at the front of the property that they've just purchased to send it back home to tell the family that see this is the reason I moved to this country Um, and they work hard and they bring the migrant mindset and all those sorts of things I just I just see it as a um, as a real opportunity um, uh, for people who can see the bigger picture of going on here. Because I do get that some of the disincentives at the localized level, as you as you sort of think in a in a monthly yearly cycle, they can be a bit intimidating. But um, uh, you only need to look back over thirty years to see the performance of property trended up. But then you see all the little dots along the way that said GST was introduced and we had the Asian flu um, issue, then we had the pandemic and then we had this recession and all of these things that happened along the journey, they were all in their isolation reasons that you shouldn't have done something. Mm. Then as you look back in the rear vision mirror, you go, huh, I'm glad I put my name on a title and just let time do all the work for me. That's a that's a good point, and it, it brings to mind those um, sort of famous Simon Presley graphs that he likes to do about all the all the shit hitting the fan style events in history, and then the property market just sort of chips along. Is that sort of the best advice you have for investors that are a little bit panicky about the environment? Is to take that sort of long term view? Yeah, hundred percent. So we interviewed this guy on the podcast, um, Mike, and it was a really good story. He um, he built a 
the Beatle portfolio of property, 5.54 million in his 50s, right? Wow. And he tells this story that he bought this first property for $212,000 in Ride in Sydney. And only three, four, five years later, it was a short period of time, sold it for 550. Wow. Now, if if you that that's pretty good, right? In a yeah. in a small period of time, two hundred and twelve doubled is four hundred and what twenty four, mm. and he sold it for five hundred odd. So he thought, wow, this is this is pretty good, five hundred fifty over um, that. But then recently had a look, so that was back in the nineties. Recently had a look, and it, and it turned over again for one point seven million. Yeah, right. So imagine if you had held it from two hundred and twelve to one point seven million, and still owned it. Yeah. Um, the rent would be significant. It would be providing you well and truly a passive income on that property. Um, you wouldn't have had to pay any capital gains tax because you still wouldn't have sold it. And it just goes to show that 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 it's a decades game. Like if you if you track a property that you purchased it over, say you could see it over thirty years, and we've actually done this a number of occasions. You see the actual dollar growth in the first decade. Then you compare it to the, not percentage, the dollar growth. The dollar growth in the first decade. Then you compare it to the dollar growth in the second decade. And then you compare it to the dollar growth in the third decade. And that third decade is just, it is actually mind blowing that when you did it in the, in the beginning, in the first, if you, if you could go back to the time you purchased it, you'd go, there is no way that is ever going to happen. That number looks outrageous. And then when you yeah. come back, you go, gee whiz. Glad I held on to it because that number is outrageous and it's in my name. So it's just one of those things of having faith that um, every single person who buys investment property, they look in the rear vision mirror and they go, yeah, I can see it went up, but it's not going to do that ever again. Like yeah. that, uh, those growth rates are, are never going to happen again. So it's like, okay, no problem. But for those people who, who hold the journey, um, that's, that's where the fruit is. I think I saw a similar style graphic on um, a wall in your office in a picture. This might have been quite some time ago. I remember there was some sort of graph charting property over the years. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's in our that's in our foyer. Um, it's the CoreLogic one that does tracks it and shows all the the, the, the events that um, contribute at the time. But no, it's just uh, um, just I encourage anyone to do it on a property that they own, and then just go backwards. And do mm. the three decades exercise and just, just suss it out. It, the numbers are like 14% of the growth is in the first decade, tw- late 20s percent is in the middle decade and mid to late 50s is in, and this is the dollar value, yep. in the third decade. So um, so my philosophy on property is quite simple. Um, um, buy the right asset, correctly finance it, hold it for the long term and have a buffer in place so that the buffer buys you time and the time in the market is where you're going to get the benefit from holding the investment properties. And for those people who like instant gratification or stuff to happen quickly, um, property investing is get rich slow. Mm. Um, it can be incredibly boring. Yeah. Um, and you have to sit on your hands and trust the process for a number of decades. It's like, oh. So I can see why people would chase um, more exciting property development or cryptocurrencies or um, share trading. And I can see why that's appealing because there's more immediate results. But for those people that have have just played the boring old game of buy a property and hold it for the long term, it's a pretty pretty cool outcome. I I think that's probably what I've learned in interviewing probably 200 property experts plus is that 
the best advice is actually quite boring. Like, can you imagine we're pitching this episode? You know, Bryce, he's been on the telly, he's written books, he's got Australia's biggest podcast. You know, we share his hot tip, and that's to buy well, finance, and then just calm down and wait. Like, no one's going to listen to that, right? Because we want instant gratification. And that kind of leads me to a question where if you look at, say, Facebook posts around property, and there's quite a few big property forums that people can can go on and it's all like what do you think about Mildura what do you think about Bow Desert you know what do you think about Mount Gambia your your job I suppose um, at Empower Wealth is to give people the education and the tools to fundamentally change their financial future so how do you counter that kind of sugar hit that people are getting from the hot spotting and 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 much it's it's much more exciting to time the market it is much more exciting to time the market but um i always just go back to the stats mate and and in the theme of let's not just let's just be as boring as possible if if 73 percent of all property investors stop at one and one's not enough um most people spend a lot of time on forums and not a lot of time actually doing any action, right? Yeah. So over the journey, Ben and I have spent a bit of time talking about, well, here's a framework that you need to succeed and oh, here's another framework that you need and what about this? Now we just spend all of our time trying to get people to take action because yeah. you know better than most, Mike, that um, unless you actually get in the arena, it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, as long as you're directionally correct and there's a few basics you need to get right, and buying the right asset is really crucial, right? So if you buy the wrong asset and let time do its work, it can work horribly wrong for you. But generally speaking, um, if you can lower your action threshold and actually step into the arena and be directionally correct buying, um, you know, a, a B or you know a B property or better, um, uh, chances are you're going to do pretty well. Um, mm. So for those people who spend a lot of time on forums, I would love to be able to survey them and say, how many of you have actually taken action? Because mm. um, I would hazard that a lot of them um, are paralysis by analysis or waiting for X, Y or Z to happen before they buy. Um, but generally speaking, the people who take action are the ones who enjoy the results. So we, 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 we build a plan. We, we have a from A to B, um, we, we don't treat, you know, um, a lot of people treat money like they treat maths, right? So, Mike, 2 plus 2 equals 4, 10 plus 10 equals 20. No matter where you grew up, no matter what your background is, no matter what your demographic is, the answer is the same for all of us. But with money, it's different. We all, we're all doing different things. You, you might have a need to do some things that I just don't need to do. Or I just want to free up my time so I can spend more time with my kids. And you might want to build um, orphanages in India. Like we just, we, we have different risk profiles. We have different salaries. We have different salary incentives. We have different time horizons. We have different needs. Mm. So the sooner that people realize that all I need to do is go, I'm at A and define where their B is. Um, and then put a plan in place to achieve that. It doesn't really matter what anyone else is doing because you don't have to find the perfect property. Yeah. You just have to find the property that works for your plan so that you can actually do it within the, the boundaries and the parameters of your risk profile and just get on with it. Um, yeah. But it all starts with you know, 
Um, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. They say it begins with a single step for a reason because unless you take that f- single step, you get nowhere. And um, so I spend a, a disproportionate amount of time now just focusing on people saying, have you actually done something? Yeah. Because if you actually haven't done anything, it doesn't matter what you think about on a forum. Yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting, you hear so many people say, oh, I'm just going to wait to see what the market does or when interest rates drop and wait to see, wait to see, wait to see what happens. But then you look at that graph over the long term and, and any of those things that happen, you zoom out far enough and it's the tiniest blip, right? And I always think the best time to buy a property was yesterday. But for um, to round out the conversation, and I, I, it would be remiss of me not to sort of get a bit of a download of where your ha- head is at with with the world such as it is with, you know, these polished versions of social media people and Instagram where everyone's far happier than they are in real life, you know, with all this this new uh, information around hotspotting and data and prop tech and AI and all this sort of stuff. What do you think is the most important thing for people to take out of listening to this episode that are wanting to invest in their financial future? Uh, well, I think we've we've talked about it a fair bit. I'd, I'd say play the decades game, not the not the years and months game. Um, I would I would say that um, uh, remind yourself that property is no different to apples and oranges. Um, if I have more people who want the apples than I have available, the price of the apples is probably going to go up. And if I have less people who want the apples um, than I have available, the price is probably going to go down. So that simple analogy will serve you with property. So you've got all these gravity centres. So where's the gravity centre? It was the CBDs prior to COVID, but now those gravity centres have moved. So the Melbourne CBD will now have to split up with Geelong and Ballarat and Bendigo and um, Sunshine. And so there'll be these other satellites that build which become gravity centres. So, But knowing that people are going to be there, that's how you know where the apples with more demand are going to be than the apples with less demand. So if you actually just keep in mind that property, despite its emotional and practical um, application for most people, is still just a game of finding something where demand exceeds supply. So being clear on the type of property that you can buy, and if you if you if you play the the decades game, not the not the sort of headlines game. That'll serve you. And my last one is probably um, uh, Evan Lucas wrote this um, uh, this book. Um, it was called I can't remember something um, money. It's it's a it's a money mindset one. I should have it off the top of my head. But there was this beautiful graph in it, and I and I love it. I spoke to him about it on our podcast. And if you if you go and get a textbook um, growth graph. And you say you buy the property, and on average it does seven percent. You you do the you do the the graph, and it's this beautiful exponential looking graph, right? Mm. You think, oh, I can buy an investment property with that exponential graph. But then you you turn the page in his book, and on the second page he goes, let me tell you what that exponential graph actually looks like, and it's ugly. And yeah, it's yeah. got a bit of up and a bit of down, and a bit of up and a bit of down. But generally speaking, if you held it at the beginning of the graph and you still owned it at the end of the graph, you'd get the same outcome, but it's being able to weather that sort of volatility that comes in between because, you know, properties that we all own now have come off a little bit from their yeah. peaks of just yeah. a little bit. So if you if you if you have 
got this beautiful um this beautiful graph in mind that would put you into lots of stress and lots of anxiety but if you take a step back and you go well i'm not going to sell it i i really only care about its performance next decade not this decade um play on then you start to realize that that's what the game is so the quicker someone can realize that property investing isn't that beautiful sort of exponential graph it's just a it's just a bouncy sort of jiggly graph all on all ending up in the same destination the more peace you'll have the more the more chances you are that you a will buy an investment property and b be one of the small percentage you get to that two or three combine it with super sounds like you'll end up with a pretty good lifestyle by design if you do that but you you do have to you do have to swim up river against the tide and against um, public opinion to be able to do that just because statistics tell us that not many people do that i love that um einstein said that if you can't explain something simply then you don't know it well enough and i think you've just shown that you know your subject matter intimately bryce i very much appreciate you coming on the show thanks for sharing all your wisdom today appreciate it thanks for having me mike cheers